This is the intro. Why? Good evening and welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com, or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes and never missing one single episode. Thank you especially everybody who does that. All right, I haven't done an artist-centric show in a while, and I felt the need really badly to do one this week, mostly because... I'm really just sick of a lot of the haters about this act. Uh, online, I got sucked into a lot of trolls and a lot of bullshit, and I'm, I'm mad at myself for giving in to all that negativity, but I figured I'd take to my show and prove that this was truly a great band, and if you don't like this band, that's cool. I just, uh, my whole thing is, I don't care if people don't like certain bands that I like. I really, honestly, don't get offended. I do get offended about people that uh you know contradict themselves like okay let's just uh let's cut to the crash here this whole show is going to be a smashing pumpkins episode and before you turn it off or whatever however if you're going yay or boo right now i'm gonna you know give you a guide to why i think that this is a great band but there's people that are like oh this band is stupid because it represents the 90s and the 90s were no fun that kind of blanket statement shows how fucking ignorant you are. You know, the 80s weren't just about cars and babes and stuff. There were other things going on also. So I, I, I got news for the people that think that, uh, you know, deep meaningful songs and depressing stuff and dark stuff. Y you know, uh, before uh, 1990, I'm pretty sure that The Cure and Nina Simone existed and all those other things, Simon and Garfunkel. I'm sure that a lot of those things did exist before 1990. I don't think Seattle or the alternative bands of the 90s brought moping to the party overnight. Uh, no, that's not true at all. All different kinds of music represents different things in life because it's life. I mean, I don't know if I can get any deeper than that without, you know, burying the lead here, but, uh, those people that hate the Smash... If you want to say you hate the Pumpkins because you don't like Billy's voice, fine, great. There are people that don't like Rush for the same reason. There are people that don't like Guns N' Roses for the same reason. And many, many other bands. Those are some of the examples I could point to. But to say that it's just because the 90s sucked or they they were mopey uh, or, or dark, uh, then you can't like Metallica anymore. And uh, countless other bands I could name off that represent hard rock and heavy metal. Because I got news for you, the Pumpkins can get fucking hard and better than most bands when they do it. They just happen to do a lot of different things. They do ballads, they do space rock, they do metal. They do it all and have done it. That's another reason why I think they're one of the great bands ever. I bought my tickets for the tour. I could give a shit if anybody else did. I don't care how the tour is doing. I don't care how well the pre-sales did. What I do know is there are people that uh, are out there that consider themselves authorities on music, but they all live in a bubble. Most of them do. And, you know, I might have a particular bubble, but I, I, I guarantee you 
that my record collection is more vast than than those people that claim to be authorities does that make me a better person yes it does actually no um but what it does do is it gives me the bit more of the right to comment on why you say idiotic shitty things when you have no business doing it uh someone that just comments on 80s oriented hard rock and metal uh they have no business trolling a band like the smashing pumpkins no more than they would Katy perry or, or big joe turner because you don't know shit about it you don't you just don't all right now that i said that i'm going to kick off the show with a pumpkins track that talks about solidarity and not being separatists yes oh did i talk about the hole in the soul thing okay yeah i did that already okay so kicking off this episode and my up and down schizophrenic mood of the infinite sadness and all that yes but this top track uh, is pretty damn cool this is one and all we are
this full length by the pumpkins and featuring someone you might recognize there tommy lee on the drums there he played drums on the whole album that was one and all we are from moments to an elegy great track there like that one a lot also proof positive that billy didn't stop recording and writing good music post 2000 that's another misnomer about the pumpkins yes i'm gonna kill all the hate on the pumpkins tonight this one right here i'll tell you what when i was coming up uh, when the pumpkins were coming up as well you know i was uh, in junior high going into high school and you would think that they would be a perfect fit for me i didn't quite take to them right away when siamese dream came out and started hitting and everybody was into him i did that thing i resisted because i was just like ah this is flavor of the week stuff it doesn't mean anything and i'm holding on to my old bands and you know what do they know this is, you know yeah you know, all that all that bullshit that we do but at the end of the day a good song is a good song and a good act is a good act and you know as it went on i started to be like oh that that sounds interesting i'd, I'd hear the singles uh today didn't really catch me very much but i heard disarm and i was like okay that's uh that's interesting and then i heard chair rock and i was like that's really cool okay and they were definitely a guitar oriented band and loud guitars at that so i started to take a little bit more notice i heard frail and bedazzled on the radio a few years later and i was like huh okay and uh you know not for nothing but a lot of the music that we're into as kids we start to be like well the girls are listening to it uh so uh, maybe i'll give it a shot you know things like that happen and then i specifically remember listening to q102 over here in dallas fort worth and it was the album premiere broadcast of melancholy and the infinite sadness they were doing a record release concert at the metro in chicago so i just happened to tune in just by chance and there was like two minutes of silence, no band playing, just the crowd going, woo, you know. And I was like, huh, what's this? This is a live show of something. Then Billy's voice came on and, and talked about uh, apologizing for the power outages and stuff like that. And then they bust into this song. And this is the song that truly made me a fan. Uh, this is off of the first disc of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And especially if you happen to happen upon a live version of this song, it is badass it might just do what it did for me is turning into a hardcore fan for life so but is the studio version here from melancholy of an ode to no one or otherwise known as fuck you
will be mouth and I give it There you go. The song that made me go out, swallow my pride, and purchase a cassette copy at the time of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. That was an ode to no one, otherwise known as Fuck You, an ode to no one. That goes out to a few different people. Uh, But yeah, that's a great fucking song. Do yourself a favor. Go YouTube that track, the live version from 2000, also from the Metro, which was at the time their farewell show. And the lineup is Billy, James Eha, Jimmy Chamberlain, and Melissa Oftamar. And uh, the Jimmy Chamberlain's got a drum cam. And just to watch him play that song is a thing of beauty. It's one of the great drum performances you're ever going to see. And it's the heaviest fucking thing, man. It's so good. They play it like twice as fast as what you just heard right there. So go look that up on YouTube. Smashing Pumpkins, Ode to No One from 2000, the live version. Go look that up. It's, it's amazing. It'll also convince you if you're still on the fence, for sure. Uh, here's just another random great track from their catalog. One I missed out on at the time when it was new, but one of my favorite songs of theirs at this point, and uh, whenever I go see them live, I always hope to hear it. Sometimes I hear it, sometimes I don't, but it's a great tune. From Siamese Dream, We should. Uh, and this should actually be the name of all the podcasts. Uh, is, here you go, Geek USA. All right.
right, there you go. That was Geek USA from their breakout album, Siamese Dream. Great tune there. Hope you enjoyed that. Another reason to go pick up that record. That is a solid record. I mean, it is their second most successful album, and for good reason. Album tracks on it are, are amazing for the most part. There's not too much filler on there. And you're going to hear another song from that later on to further convince you. All right, next one here. One more from Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, because it is a double album. It also happens to be one of my favorite albums of all time. And it's songs like this that really make me go, man, I really want to learn how to play that on guitar. And that's one of the reasons why the Melancholy Guitar Book was the first, like, non-kiss, non, you know, something outside of my regular bubble. It was uh, the first real standout book that I ever bought to play it on guitar. That should say something there. Super interesting chords. If you just want to geek out over guitar stuff, like I said, this is a great band to check out because you could listen to it and be like, man, I don't know how to play that if I just sat down and listened to it. Like, I'm really going to have to figure it out. If you're an ear person, this band's going to drive you crazy. So I had to track down a book for something like this because I couldn't even figure out what the tuning was, but I knew it was great and I knew I wanted to play it. And so this is a really cool mid-tempo number here, and I just really dig the arrangement on it. It's it's real in the pocket rhythmically, but like I said, the guitar chords are great. It's just it's just a cool tune. So here you go from Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. This is Here Is No Why.
right, there you go. That was Here Is No Why from Melancholy. Great tune there. I really like that one a lot. One of those great album tracks on there. And despite the fact that that's a double album, I don't really hear a whole lot of filler on it. Maybe I'm still listening to it with rose-colored ears and glasses and all that stuff. Good old day syndrome. But if you've never heard that album top to bottom, do me a favor. Go listen to it. Tell me if I'm wrong about it. Tell me if it does anything for you at all. But that was my wall. That that album got me through high school. So uh, I'm always going to love the Pumpkins for that one sole reason. But they have a great catalog besides the point. Further proof, they had so much material for Melancholy that they wound up putting out a box set of all the songs that didn't make it on there. So they had so much stuff. They, they put out another release with this box set called uh, The Airplane Flies High. And this thing was massive. I remember buying the box when it came out, like day one. It was in this cool little 45 replica box, and I, I bought the special edition later on because I'm a, I'm a nerd, I'm a fanboy. But uh, this track especially, I'm going to play the title track from the box set here. And for good reason, this is the title track, because this song is so epic. And one of the best times I ever saw him live, and it was the first time too, was on the Melancholy Tour. Saw it at Reunion Arena. Freaking garbage opened up on their first album, so just what a what a great show. And it really just, uh, yeah, that's 90s in a nutshell right there. To me, that's some of the best aspects of the 90s were, were those two acts. Uh, but seeing the Pumpkins, you know, at the height of their power, playing arenas to packed houses, and they had this, like, huge, like, 30-foot radio tower on stage, and it was just so cool. And amidst all the chaos of the Melancholy Tour, they still managed to put down this great show that I saw with my CNJ radio brother, Chris saw it in december of 1996 what a way to finish the year off and a really cool thing happened during that show and i might have mentioned this years ago on the show Uh, but they played i think probably about two and a half hours i mean they played a really long set but it was really cool man they played most of melancholy and uh, they just you know uh, for a band that gets a reputation of not being any fun they seem to be having fun up there plus they had like a dance contest with fans i mean they were just cutting loose and it was a great show after all that so they, they opened up the show with one of my favorite songs from melancholy which was uh where boys fear to tread they close out the main set with xyu one of my other favorite songs of melancholy so this is like oh this is a damn near perfect show and uh you know they say good night house lights come on even the pa music comes back on and you know people are getting out of there and you know just on a whim sometimes we do this and sometimes we don't i was like man this is such a packed house so i was like chris let's hang back you know usually we try to beat the traffic but this time we were just like ah we'll just hang you know because i mean it was a long show i just wanted to kind of sit back and almost kind of mentally reflect on it and then uh after about what seemed like 10 minutes they just walk back out on stage and you know it's like only filled enough to like for the floor you know there was like just a couple of thousand people left billy comes right back on stage with james and all the and jimmy and darcy and they were like well all right now that all the mtv people are gone we're gonna play a little bit longer and they played like almost uh, another hour it was like 45 minutes or something they played two songs in 45 minutes because they just jammed and this one was the first of the two they also played a like 20 minute version of silver fuck uh, but they played this song so this song's always going to have like a super special meaning to me so let me know what you think out there great tune here this is the aeroplane flies high <laughs> Thank you. 
there you go. That was the airplane flies high. And then parentheses, turn left, looks right. All eight and a half minutes of it there. But I hope you enjoyed that. Powerful stuff for me. And uh, here's one. I'm going to play you a ballad here. I haven't played one of those yet on the show. I did a mid-tempo one, but here's a ballad representing the Adore record. And the Adore record was definitely seen as a flop upon its initial release. I think the retrospective reviews have been kind to it. And I like Adore. It was one of those things where Melancholy was so over the top and so rock heavy that they just kind of pulled back and made a really mellow record. I think Billy's mom had died. He'd gone through a divorce. So it was, it was kind of the, the dark artistic album that followed up the big commercial success. But it, it's a cool record. I dig it. Uh, this is my favorite song off of the album. Uh, actually, that and uh, this is in my top three favorite songs from this record. But I really dig this ballad here. And I really love uh, the breakdown in the middle where they just go into like this vocal thing. It's very Beach Boys-esque. And they uh, had the frogs on there doing that with them, believe it or not. For such a freak act, those guys can harmonize really beautifully. So here you go. From a door, this is Behold the Nightmare. Still I'm a 
All right, there you go. Really cool, epic, spacey ballad from Adore. That was Behold the Nightmare from, of course, the Smashing Pumpkins. Also saw them on that tour, on the Adore tour, and they did this really interesting thing. I mean, they knew this wasn't going to play arenas, this particular album, and on purpose, they went to the theaters, and small theaters at that. They definitely could have played big theaters on this tour and done well and sold it out right away but they did small theaters and at the time it was like an astronomical ticket i think it was like 50 bucks in 1998 to go see him but i was such a fan i was like i'm I'm going and plus it was at will rogers theater like i said there's a will rogers arena inside of it but they played this like place that only fit like maybe 500 people maybe at that and uh, they did this all over the country and apparently it was like a 100 percent uh, charity show like they gave to different local charities in each town they played and i believe over in fort worth they uh, played for like a children's homeless shelter or something like that but besides all that it was a great show they played the entire adore album they played it out of order <laughs> and then they would sprinkle in some hits but when they would play the hits the arrangements were like so far away from what you would remember that they were almost unrecognizable like bullet with butterfly wings turned into this like african tribal march and they had like two extra percussion players they had mike garson from david bowie's band on the piano and they had kenny aronoff on drums so great band i mean a bunch of mechanics in there in addition to the core of the pumpkins but since jimmy was out of the band they brought in kenny aronoff he did a great job and another reason why this band isn't bullshit they're good enough for Kenny Aronoff they should be good enough for you and uh like I said once again great show and man and I know that um Gene Simmons Gene Simmons huge fan of the Pumpkins especially at the time he made a comment about how much he loved what they did at the end of that Adore show when he saw it and they did the same thing when I saw it is that when they finished up their jam at the end of the night they grabbed four random kids off the stage and uh, threw the instruments on them and they had them play like the last three minutes or whatever and it was was really neat it was really cool and for that reason and also the fact that Gene being a fan uh, he invited the Pumpkins to open up the opening night of the psycho circus tour in california and it was halloween night and i remember watching the broadcast the broadcast was terrible the not not because of the bands or anything but because fox just dropped the ball on the entire broadcast they only aired like two kiss songs but they did play one of the pumpkin songs during the broadcast at least on uh, my coast and they played this song which is a song that wasn't even on a door didn't even make it onto the next record machina but this really super like heavy metal song that didn't make it on either record but still one of my favorite pumpkin songs from when i watched that broadcast and saw that they were dressed up as the beatles still still love that go find footage of that it's great so here you go this is uh from the still unreleased machina 2 album this is version 2 of cash car star turn it up
right, there you go. Version 2 of Cash Car Star from the unreleased Machina 2 album, which Machina 2 was this thing that, uh, it was some leftovers from the Machina sessions and also stuff that they were working on they didn't finish at the time. There was a bunch of material there for Machina, and Billy was already going to break the pumpkins up around 2000, 2001. So he took all the material that had been mixed down and gave like it to a handful of friends and told them just to put it out on the internet for free. And they did. So, I mean, it's out there. I know they're trying to get some sort of proper release for it after all these years, and that'd be nice. I'd totally buy one, uh, but we'll see if it happens. But till then, I guess you could say that was kind of a exclusive. So, hope you enjoyed that. Probably heavier than you're used to hearing by them, but that's another layer of the band that most people don't know. Proof Positive also on this next track here. Going to play something from the Zeitgeist record, their comeback album from 2007 or 2008. Something like that, anyway. But, uh, you know, Zeitgeist doesn't get a whole lot of love, even by the hardcore fans. And, you know, it's it's not their best album, that's for sure. I like three or four songs on it really well, so I guess I can't recommend the album as a whole. But if you can find a good deal on it, like in secondhand shops, it's definitely a good purchase and this is I think easily the best song on the album saw them do this live and it was amazing uh, this is an epic even almost more so than airplane flies high so just check it out sit back turn it up and just get lost in the United States
right, there you go. That was United States from Zeitgeist. All damn near 10 minutes of it. But I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, if you've made it this far, then you are definitely got an open mind to at least trying to figure out why I love the Smashing Pumpkins so much. So there you go. Save that one for towards the end. And uh, between Zeitgeist and Oceania, they seem to be kind of lost in the how do they want to distribute music kind of thing. And they were putting out like EPs and singles and like download only things. And it, it, I think even Billy said at the time, you know, off the cuff that he probably wasn't going to release any uh, full length physicals like ever again because people just steal music or they want it cheap or whatever, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I was real bummed out about that because I, I do definitely love the idea of the full length album and owning a physical product. I'm still that guy. But uh, thankfully, he reneged on that and put out this full length called Oceania. Uh, I think it was around 2010 or 2011, something like that. I'm doing this without notes, but uh, I think my brain's pretty much within a year or two, uh, you know, in the pocket there. But I gotta say, I think Oceania is one of the most underrated albums of this decade for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's no melancholy. I mean, you have to say things like that when you're reviewing albums, I guess, but it's just this really cool top to bottom album. You know, it, it can be really heavy at times, and it can be real beautiful at times, and that's what the band's all about. I think it's one of the more honest releases that the band's ever put out. For that reason, I think you really should check it out. So yeah, this this guy Mike Byrne comes in and starts playing drums for the band. Jimmy Chamberlain had left the band around 2009. That really bummed me out, because I was like, to me, it's always going to be the Pumpkins if it's Billy and Jimmy. And I'd be real hard-pressed to give the band a chance without Jimmy Chamberlain. I know that sounds weird, especially concerns drummers and bands, but to me, Jimmy Chamberlain was always one of the more irreplaceable drummers of all time. We were talking about Tommy Lee earlier. Can't replace that guy, really, can you? And to me, you can't replace Jimmy's probably the greatest rock drummer of the modern era like him and josh freeze i can't even think of anybody else off the top of my head so there you go but jimmy leaves the band and now i'm just kind of like oh you know i'll give this record a shot i'm a fan i don't want to be an asshole about it so this guy mike byrne comes in and i think he's like barely 18 when he joined the band and i was like what the fuck you know what's he gonna do man he hit it out of the park the best compliment i can give mike byrne is that People could listen to this album, not know that Jimmy Chamberlain's on it, and probably be fooled into thinking that he played on the record. And then when I saw him live, he was a beast, man. So I was like, wow. So for that short amount of time that Mike Byrne was in the band, he did a great job on the drums. Guy could even sing on stage. And there's even a YouTube. If you go on there, type in Smashy Pumpkins doing a cover of Kiss's Black Diamond. Not only do they play that, but Mike Byrne sings the lead on there, because that is tradition. The drummer has to sing the song. So there you go. Go look that up. Uh, and go check out Oceania. It's a fantastic record. Here's one of the great songs off of it. Second to last song of the night. This is Panopticon. Choices against you, 
right, that was Panopticon from Oceania. One of the great albums of the decade that you haven't heard. So go get it. Go listen to it. It's awesome. I like Monuments to Analogy really well, but to me, Oceania is where it's at. So go get it. All right, before I forget about this, I was also recently inspired by a recent episode of the Pods and Sods Network. Great guys over there, Craig and Eric. And uh, Craig did a, a special on the Smashing Pumpkins with one of his best friends. And man, that was a cool special. I had so much fun listening to that. So go check out the Pods and Sods Network. Go find the Smashing Pumpkins episode. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely a lot more lighthearted than this episode is. On here, I'm I'm kind of angry and I have a chip on my shoulder just because, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> Even though I hope you've had a good time listening to this episode, you're definitely going to have a lot of laughs if you go listen to Pods and Sods. All right, tell Craig that I sent you over there. Okay, last song of the night. It's one of those, if I had to pick one, this is probably my favorite pumpkin song of all time. Just a great tune. This is another one of those, like, I learned how to play on the guitar, and I played it all the time. And I love this, whether it's electric or acoustic. We're going to play the studio version to close off the show tonight. And, uh, you know, this is definitely one of those things. Uh, they don't play at the reunion show. I will riot one single riot there but here you go closing off my smashing pumpkin special this is mayonnaise
All right, there you go, mayonnaise from Smashing Pumpkins, closing out my All Pumpkins episode, my Pumpkins mixtape, if you will. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if the show did anything for you, whether you're a fan or a non-fan. What was your journey here? I'm mega curious, especially when it comes to episodes such as this. So go on cnjradio.com. There's links to the Facebook, the Twitter, and all that good stuff. Feel free to hit me up. Tell me what you liked and what you didn't like. If you didn't like this episode, I apologize, but hey, whatever. I'll put out another show in a few days to make up for it. But uh, regardless, stay subscribed on iTunes, leave a star rating and a comment and all that good stuff. And while you're on cnjradio.com, stick around for the Synaptic Empire podcast featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative. Also, while you're on there, check out Last Theater on the Left, hosted by Chris, the aforementioned Chris. Doing a great job on there. More episodes coming soon. Speaking of more episodes, Wrestling House Show is up and thriving once again. Not going anywhere. Here to stay. Wrestling House Show, co-hosted by myself and Chris. Having a great time doing it as well. And that's, that's a tie-in to this episode. I know old Mr. Uh, William Corgan is a big pro wrestling fan. He's even in the game. So, yeah, he owns the National Wrestling Alliance now, if you didn't know that. So, there you go. Billy, an uncloseted pro wrestling fan. Another reason why he's a friend of mine. All right. Last but not least, extra special thanks to Pete and the guys from Spacebeard for the awesome outro. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband for more information and tell them the Rock Strikes 10 sent you. Also, check out Pete LaRusso online. He's the man. All right, we'll get out of here right now. We'll see you guys on the next one sooner than later. Have fun. <laughs>